0: Those of you who were here first service when we did that the song that we just did, uh, brother Frank's wife was here and she just began to shout and praise before the Lord, uh, with, with holding nothing back. And I know some people are looking like, "What is going on?" But she was just worshiping the goodness of God because her husband is still in the land of the living. Uh, yes, he had been sick for several days, and yesterday um, he, he was not doing well at all. And I think it was Brother Hillhouse, he told me, who told him, Brother, you need to get to the hospital. And he went to the hospital, and he said the first thing he remembered they said was code blue. I don't know exactly what that means, but I know that's not good when you're in the hospital. You don't hear about code blue. So, um, but to make a long story short, Uh, The doctors who who worked on uh, Brother Frank yesterday said if he had come an hour later, he would not be here. So the Lord was timely in every way, in every way. So a great reason to praise the Lord. He had some some fairly significant issues with his heart, but we saw him later in the day. Many uh, of the saints had a chance to see him. And he was still Brother Frank. He was as crazy as he always is, but I love him and his wife. They are they they work tirelessly in cleaning this facility, um, and and they care for it very very well. Um, and they are also the best Diamond Street 17th Street evangelist that I know of. Amen. <laughs> Telling everybody about the goodness of Jesus and inviting them to Epiphany Fellowship. So. Very grateful and thankful for them. Also, we have a couple of groups of people from the wonderful city of Chicago, Illinois, today. We have some friends over here, amen, from Harvest Bible Fellowship. Am I saying it right? Harvest Bible Chapel, I'm sorry. Uh, James McDonald, Pastor James McDonald, many of you may know him. He has an incredible ministry, he's been faithful for, for many, many years. And so they're joining us from Harvest Bible Chapel, and then also we have some other friends from the Chicago area in Chicago who are friends and family of Brother Jeremiah. Amen? Amen. And so since we know they're related to Jeremiah and our friends of his, we will be pouring large quantities of oil over all of your heads <laughs> later on after the service. Amen. So I, I'm so glad to be here today. There's only one regret that I have in preaching today because I was preaching I wasn't able to do that dance you just saw up here and so but but graciously and gratefully uh, sister Brittany just came in at the last minute and did that now if you would like I'll do my leg like she did her leg and just pointed it up towards the sky how many of you want to see that how many of you don't want to see that Okay, the nose win. Okay, it's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's good to be with you today. Pastor E will be back with us uh, next Sunday. Uh, they have had a great break, as I understand, and are ready to come back and do uh, the Lord's work here. Uh, let's stand up together and let's turn to Psalm 27 today. Um, I'll be doing something that I haven't done in a very long time and that we don't often do at Epiphany Fellowship. Almost always, our sermons at Epiphany are what we call expository preaching, where we take one text and walk through that text. That's our normal practice. We do it line by line, book by book. We go through the Bible like that. But today, I'm actually going to be do Be doing a sermon that is topical in nature. So we'll be looking at a lot of different scriptures, but bear with me as we do that. We want to read just the first four verses of Psalm 27 uh, together, and I'll start reading, and you continue reading uh, the rest of these verses. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In the house of the Lord, all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful and grateful that uh, you invite us to gather and to be in your presence and to worship you, Lord God, in your presence. You, you, you invite us, oh God, into your great banquet that we may know what the blessing is of being in the presence of God Almighty. And so we pray, Lord God, that even today, as uh, we, we spend these next few moments together, that you will help each of us to grow and to learn how to grow in a passion for Jesus Christ. So be with us in this time, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Today, uh, I'm going to talk to you from the subject of developing a passion for Jesus, developing a passion for Jesus. We, we know those of you who are Christians, uh, you know that our greatest passion should be for Jesus Christ and to love him well and to know him better and, and to and to be in his presence. That is uh, the passion that we're called uh, to have as believers in Jesus Christ. But, but we also know that as people, we are people who have many various passions in this world, many things that we love and we care about and, 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 and that are important to our lives. And so, you know, we, we have many, many different passions, and, and that's a good thing. God has created this world with many things for us to enjoy and to love and to be a part of. But those passions need to be rightly rooted in. And grounded and founded in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So here's the thing that I've learned. When you spend time with somebody, it doesn't even have to be that deep or that long. It doesn't take long until you find out what they're passionate about. Amen. If someone's passionate about fishing, it kind of doesn't matter what else you're talking about. Eventually, they're going to be talking about fishing right? If someone's passionate about the arts, you're going to end up talking about the arts. If somebody's passionate about the Philadelphia Eagles, they may start doing weird things, strange things, but they're going to talk about E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles, before too long. When when people are passionate about things, it comes out of them, sometimes in rather strange ways. I have a, a friend who's on staff here at uh, epiphany fellowship he's one of our interns some of you know uh, brother recab gray recab is a fan of the philadelphia 76ers amen So am I. I'm a fan of the Sixers, but he's a fan in a different way than other people I know. Like, I remember the Sixers back in the days with Dr. J winning championships and doing stuff. Even with A.I. and Barkley, you know, they were good. They had some good teams. But last year, like, the Sixers won, like, three games all year, right? I mean, they were horrific. Oh, there's Brother Recap right over there. (laughs) Wave to us, Brother Recap, because I'm going to talk about you right now, brother in Jesus' name, I'm talk about you. So, uh, but Recap, he loves the Sixers, and that's all right, you know, but but it's kind of weird sometimes. You'll be talking with Recap, you, like his wife was sick, and you're asking him, you know, how's, how's Brittany doing? That's his wife. How's Brittany doing? You know, I heard she was sick, like, and he'll be He'll be like this, like, well, you know what? She was really sick. She had the flu, but she saw the doctor. She started taking the antibiotics, and she's getting a little better. Ten, nine, eight, 76ers. And, and then he just goes on talking. Or you're talking to him about, you know, the Bible. And he'd be like, yeah, man, I was reading John chapter 4, and, I, man, that study was so good. One, two, three, four, five, sixers. And... And what God was saying to me was, I'm like, what just happened? What? And he does that. He re- do you do that? Recap. Raise your hand if you do. Don't lie. Don't lie. God is in the yes, he does. He does that. And it's just weird. But I know he loves God, and we are trying as a staff to love him as well. But so when you have passions, passions come out. I, I I grew up with a passion for sports. Had two brothers. My dad loved sports. So whenever there was a ball, you know, we, we were playing some kind of ball in the middle of winter. Uh, we would, if it was a little bit warmer, we lived in upstate New York, snowed all the time. If it was a little bit warmer, we would shovel off the basketball court and go play ball. That's how I got so good, y'all. <laughs> but, 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 so... But not only was I passionate about sports, but I was passionate about winning. I always wanted to win. And, and the reality is that became a very unhealthy thing for me. Because if I, if I lost, I would be like at the lowest of the low. And sometimes, especially, like, I remember when I was a kid, it didn't matter what we were playing, I would just throw a fit when I lost anything. So, so I, I would try to win at any cost. You know, if I was playing chess and the person was about to checkmate me, it would be chew, and I, the ba- the board would go up in the air. Like, ah, oh, I guess that's a draw. Let's play again. You know, I had like two pieces left on the board, um, but I was overly competitive. One of the issues when our passions are not rightly rooted with Christ is this if we're not rightly rooted in our passions with Jesus Christ, then when we are succeeding the very most, that's when we find life, we're actually further from life than we ever were before. Because we think that we've found life and it is divorced from the reality of relationship with the God who is life. So our passions need to be rightly rooted in Jesus Christ and in the Lord. So we want to look at a man in David in Psalm 27 in verse 4 and look at what this fully developed passion uh, for God looks like. And then we'll look at ways to develop that sort of passion. But let's look at this picture first in verse 4. He says, one thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after. He's saying there's there's one thing. There's not 10 things I've asked of the Lord. It's not like Christmas and I'm eight years old and I have a long list or even I'm 52 years old and I've got a long list of if I just get these things together in my life, then I'll be happy. He says one thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek. There's one thing, there's one central purpose that he has his mind and his heart fixed on that everything else becomes blurry. Because this is where he's fixated his passion. He says, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek. What is it? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Not for two minutes not for two days, not not for 10 years, but all the days of my life. He says, this is my passion. This is what I want. This this is where I'm at, David is saying. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He uses the covenant name of God here, Yahweh in the Old Testament. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. In the New Testament, uh, John 1 and verse 14 Uh, John puts it this way. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word, speaking of Jesus Christ, became flesh and dwelt. The Greek word there is skanao. It's used in the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament to talk about setting up a camp, setting up tents. The word became flesh and set up his tent right among us. The word became flesh, another way to put it, Uh, and tabernacled among us. He became God's tabernacle. In the Old Testament, before there was the temple... Uh, that, that was built by Solomon, there was the tabernacle that was set up and prescribed in the law to be set up to be the place where people would go to experience the presence of God, to, 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 to have offerings to receive forgiveness from God, and that was the place where God's presence dwelt. It dwelt in the tabernacle and then in the temple. David says, I want to spend all of my life in that place. And so what, what, what the Bible is telling us through, through the Apostle John is that place is no longer made of bricks. It's no longer overladen with gold. It's no longer beams of cedar wood and altars and lampstands. But that place is now a person and his name is Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so the fully grown reality of what it means to have a passion for God is not, I so want to go to Jerusalem and see this place or that place. And I I want to go to Jerusalem and I want to go to Israel and visit some of those places. But the place is a person now. It's Jesus Christ. And so that fully grown passion in you and in me as a believer is I want to be with Christ All the days of my life. And he says, why why do you want to do that, David? He says, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. See, he's revealing how he understands and sees God. I don't see God as my enemy. I don't see God as the one who's keeping me from the things I really want to do in life. I don't see God as a cosmic cop who has, uh, he's got a, 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 what do you call it, a little stick that the police use? He's got a billy club, and he's ready, ready to knock me down. I don't see God that way. I want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Yeah. The word means favor. It means blessedness. I want to see him. I want to see him. See, it it, it tells of his disposition of how he understands who God is. He's beautiful. He is to be looked upon and and to to be desired, he says, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So this is what this full-grown passion looks like. I want to be with you. I want to be near you, God. And so... For all of us, as we look at the passions that we have in our lives, the question that we need to ask is, what is the passion that directs your life? What is the passion? Not Jesus, yeah, I'm passionate about Jesus. And sometimes it's like we talk about God is awesome, but we also say that this, this gum I just had is awesome. And this TV show is awesome and everything's awesome. Well, if everything's awesome, then I don't know what it means that God is awesome. Right. But God is awesome. And and the passion for him should outstrip and outweigh other passions and in such a way that those other passions, whether it's dance, whether it's the arts, whether it's sports, whether it's business, whatever it is, comes under Christ in order to give him glory. Amen. So other passions can be used that way. But the question is, what is the passion that directs your life? Something to think about. And so what we want to answer today uh, is this. How do we develop a passion for Christ? How do we develop a deep passion for Jesus? And we want to start by looking at verse one in chapter 27 of Psalms. We've just read it. He says, David says here, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He gives us a picture here of what it is that led to this picture we saw in verse four of this man who just wants to be with God. Right. So in verse one, what we see is, is a man who is conscious of his gratitude toward God. So, so the first point here today, if, if you want to develop a deep passion for Jesus, you live a life of conscious gratitude toward Jesus. You live a life of conscious gratitude toward Jesus. Uh, David says, the Lord is my light And my salvation, he gives he gives two things there. First of all, he's my light in in the scripture. Light is always going to talk about the way of truth or the way that God illuminates our path so that we can walk in a way that honors and glorifies him and keeps us safe. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation to be light. The first act of creation that we see in the book of Genesis in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and void. And darkness covered the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. The very first act of creation that we see in the Genesis passage is God makes light. And as we look at the creation passage unfold, we see that it's unfolding in order that God might create on that final creative day, day six, he might create man and woman and place them in the middle of the garden. So creation was to bless man and woman. It was to make uh, us uh, uh, a suitable habitation so that we can worship God rightly. And the first part of that is to create light. David says, the Lord is my light. Throughout the scriptures, we see this picture of light. In Psalm 43, verse three, he says, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my paths. Proverbs 6, 23, for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light. Isaiah Two and verse five, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. You see this imagery of light all along as the thing that guides and keeps God's people. And ultimately, we see in the New Testament, Jesus says in John eight twelve and in John nine five and in John twelve forty six, He says, "I am the light of the world." See, when he's giving praise to God and gratitude for what God has done, he's remembering that he is the light, the one who has shown him the way, the one who has taken him from a path of darkness to a path of light. Not only does he say the Lord is my light, but he also says he is my salvation. Again, in the first part of verse one, he's my salvation. The Hebrew word there is yasha, and yasha means to deliver to rescue or to save. The Lord is my light and my salvation. He's my rescuer. He's my deliverer. He's my savior. That word we see again in in the book of Exodus. It's throughout the Old Testament. But in Exodus chapter 14, verse 13, as God's people are about to go uh, to the Red Sea and through the Red Sea, they see Pharaoh's army behind them and Moses calls to the Lord, Lord, what what are we to do? And the Lord tells him what to do. And the word of the Lord to Moses is this, fear not. And Moses tells the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you shall never see again. This greatest army that the world has ever produced, that's coming after you, and you have no weapons, <laughs> and you have a sea in front of you, God says, today, stand and see the salvation of the Lord. And he uses that word again, uh, yasha, but it's a different form of the word, and the form there is Yeshua, Yeshua, salvation, the Lord saves, Yeshua. In the Old Testament, that becomes the name Joshua, in the New Testament, it becomes the name Jesus. So he says, stand firm and see Yeshua Yahweh. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Stand firm and see Jesus, your savior at work. You see, the Exodus is a picture of what salvation looks like, not just what happened about 3,500 years ago. Uh, The Exodus is a picture of what salvation looks like in your life and in my life today. It is this picture that the enemy is about to overtake us and destroy us, and we have no means at all at our disposal to stop the enemy. But God says, stand firm and see Yeshua Yahweh, the Lord, your salvation, who stands with you. And today, the enemy that you see, you will never see again, because I will destroy that enemy. That's a picture of what God does in the life of his people. Stand firm and see Yeshua Yahweh. The beginning of developing a passionate longing for God as you move forward in life is looking backwards to remember his faithfulness and how he has delivered you. We tend to be people with sometimes short memories for God's blessings and long memories for our trials and tribulations. We remember those things real well, but we we must, if you're going to develop a passion for Jesus, you must develop a long memory for the goodness and the mercy that is following you all the days of your life. Amen. He he, he is doing that. See, what what mitigates against that is our sin nature. And, 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 And Solomon put it this way in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 8. He says, the eye is never satisfied with seeing the ear is never satisfied with hearing. No matter how much we might receive, if again, if we don't understand that in gratitude and in relationship to Jesus, it will never be enough to satisfy your flesh. Your flesh is greedy. My, my wife used to say sometimes when people just eat like everything at the table and don't even look for anyone else at the table, just eat everything eat everything, and, and no one else can get a piece of chicken because they took chicken off other people's plates. She would say, you're just a greedy gut, greedy gut. So I know that because she called me that many times, stealing chicken off my children's plates. That's just wrong. But the chicken was good. But the, the problem is with sin, we never get enough. There's never enough. But, but God calls us not to, to that that type of of attitude, but to a grateful heart. First Timothy chapter six and verse six says that godliness with contentment is great gain. God calls us to be people of gratitude. Let me just give you three ways that we can become more so people of gratitude. Number one, because you have to fight against your natural inclination and your flesh to do this. Number one is be consistent in voicing your thankfulness to God every day and i would say at least three times a day just i mean once a day won't do it once a week won't do it you've got to be consistent in telling god specifically what you're thankful for and how he has worked in your life morning noon and night not just in the morning and then in the middle of your difficult day you've forgotten that already and you're ready to bite somebody's head off and because you're a christian you do that in jesus name but you still bite their head off right We need to be thankful to God and and to concentrate and remember that throughout the day, not just once in a while. Secondly, at every opportunity, remember the cross of Jesus Christ. Sometimes things are so difficult and hard in life, we can forget what to be thankful for. You can never forget the cross of Jesus Christ That God's only begotten son, eternal God taking on human flesh like you and I stands in the way of the wrath of almighty God and takes on the penalty for your sin and for mine. Remember that often. Remember the cross of Jesus Christ, not just when you hear a sermon, a podcast, or read the Bible or some other Christian book, but remember that often and give thanks to God for that, to develop a a heart of gratitude. And lastly, it's important as well to be thankful for even your present circumstances. Sometimes that's difficult because you can't see exactly what it is to be thankful for but if you've lived a little while with God you have realized that there are times when you thought it was the worst thing that could ever happen but later you were so grateful so grateful i was engaged before i got married to this lady i'm not saying nothing about the other person at all right now i'm just saying i am so i was not happy when it all ended. But now I am thanking God. I'm thankful to God for that. And we've had many things that have come into our lives that we're like, oh, that's the worst thing that could happen. And later you see what God was doing. Sometimes you may not end up seeing what God is doing until you see God face to face and then you won't even care. But uh, in the midst of that, it's important to be thankful for present circumstances. Let me tell you something that happened just this past week with my wife and I. Our son is going into his second year of college, and and we were so excited. He did very well his first year. He signed up for his classes. He did everything that needed to be done. We got a bill uh, from the school, and it listed out our tuition payments, a payment plan. So we started, I started, I was responsible for doing it, paying the payment plan. So I made the first payment. The second payment, I think we were actually in Malawi and wanted to make sure we had troubles getting on the Internet. But we just made sure that we got that payment in. And I made sure that I did it and it was on time. Everything was on time. Then earlier this week, we hear from our son that they have just dropped all his classes and he's not, in, he's not registered for anything anymore. I'm like, what happened? They said, you never signed up for the payment plan. So my wife called me. She said, baby, I love you. She actually did not say, baby, I love you. At that moment, I don't think she was loving her baby. <laughs> she was not real happy with me. And, and she was going to go down. I was, I was away. I was actually studying for this message. And, and so she went down to the school with my son and tried to get it resolved. And it did not get resolved. She called me back and said, it's not resolved. And I said, I'm on my way home. Now, let me tell you what happened a few days later as we were having a time together of devotion, she told me, uh, it's a good thing you didn't beat me home. It's a good thing that when I got home, you weren't home yet. I said, oh yeah, why is that? She said, I was really, really mad. Like mad enough to say something or do something. Uh, Some of y'all are acting like I've been married long enough. That never happens. Come on, be real. If you're married, sometimes you get so mad And, and like, this was my responsibility, and she felt like I had dropped the ball. But thanks be to God, she went into her secret place with the Lord Most High. She calls it her contemplation room. I don't care what she calls it. I'm just glad it was there, and she went there. And she got with Jesus in that room. And when I came back, she was still a little mad, but she had a little Holy Ghost all over her, too. So we worked through it. And within 24 hours, he was registered for all his classes. We had the payment plan. They said, oh, you've already given us more money. You don't need to give us any more money now. So everything was all set. But what I realized Years ago, we were in an accident, in a car accident, where really four of us could have died. We have four people in the car, my wife and I, and two of our children, and we really could have died, and we gave thanks to God for that. But, you know, I realized as we were praying the other morning, I need to give just as much thanks for what happened earlier this week, because she could have, my wife could have come out of her flesh at me. She could have done that, and I could have come out of my flesh right back at her. And we could have had a mess on our hands. And and Pastor Tommy would be preaching again this week because I wouldn't be in no shape to be in the pulpit right now. And we would be seeing a counselor and needing some real help. The reality is that could have happened. I'm not going to tell you that I'm so godly. And so Holy Ghost filled that I couldn't mess up like that. But so we gave thanks to God Almighty for keeping our tongues, for keeping our lips, for keeping us. So you learn to give thanks to God for present circumstances. We've got to be a people of great gratitude if we're gonna develop a deep passion for Jesus. Secondly, let's look at Psalm 84 real quick Psalm 84 just want to look at a couple of verses there. Verses 10 and 11 we will really focus on verse 10 of Psalm 84. How do you develop a deep passion for Jesus? You have a life of conscious gratitude toward Jesus. Secondly, you live in intimate personal relationship with Jesus. This is about a relationship with a person. It's not an institution. It's it's not just a religious affection, but it is a relationship with the person of Jesus himself. Psalm uh, 27 was written by David. Psalm 84 is by the sons of Korah who are writing this psalm. In verse 10, they say, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor, that word again, favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the one who trusts in you. What a a beautiful uh, picture we see here of a man who desires to be in relationship and near to his God. So there's really two points of contrast that he gives in verse 10. The first is a contrast of time. He says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. What is he saying? A little bit of time, God, in your presence amounts to more than a thousand lifetimes somewhere else. He says being near to you, even if it's just for a moment, is for me to be highly preferred over being even in a place where everyone would say you really got it going on. Right. See, he says that that being near to God, even if it's just for a moment, think about that for a day, a day is here. Literally is here today and gone tomorrow, right? I mean, it, it, it passes away quickly and, and is forgotten easily. You know, in and, and a, th- a thousand days or a thousand lifetimes or a thousand years, he said, this lasts a long time. But he says, One moment with you, Lord, is what I need. That's what I desire so much more than anything else. What is he saying? Poetically, he's saying this that life apart from God is not really life at all. This is why it's as important as believers. We don't divorce any part of our lives from being with Jesus Christ. So it's not as if I'm here on Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, and I'm getting it in with Jesus. But Friday night, that's for me, y'all. Saturday, that's for me. Whatever day, you know, I'm at work. Now that doesn't count. No, we understand that we're always in the presence of Jesus. So he understands in in this psalm that the key for him, the key for him is being in the presence of God. Now, the second contrast is this degrees of intimacy, a doorkeeper versus a dweller. Now, he says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God, than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Now, to dwell in the tents, what he's getting at there is, is to be in the place of privilege, to dwell there, to be uh, in the room where the decisions are made, where the party is really going on. He says, I would rather just be a doorkeeper in God's house than be a big wig to be the one who's got all the swag and all the influence and, and, and stomps with the big dogs in, in the back room. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in God's house than to be that just to be a doorkeeper. Now it's hard to think of a job in a house that, that is less intimate than being a doorkeeper, right? Cause the doorkeeper doesn't even have to be in the house. He's outside the house. He lets people in the house, but he gets to touch the house. He gets to touch the doorknob. he's, He's in association with the house itself. He says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. What is he saying? He's saying that he would rather have a position... Where he is near to God himself. See, here's a way I look at it. Let me just read this. The key for the psalmist is not having a position of privileged relationship dwelling in the tent. But having a relationship with true privilege. Sometimes we want to be where the action is, where it's really going on. We want to we want to have these relationships. But he says, you know what? I just want to have the right relationship with the right one. That's what matters to me. He knows God. He loves God. His worth and value are derived not from his job title, what he does, his 401k or anything else. His, 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 His identity is wrapped up in the one whom he's serving. But you're just a doorkeeper. Yeah, but I'm a doorkeeper in the house of my God. Notice what he says there. Not just a doorkeeper in the house of God, but in the house of my God. First person possessive, right? I am in the house of my God. I'm a doorkeeper for him. A deep passion for Christ is the byproduct of a growing personal relationship with him, not the result of ever-increasing commitments, some people serve in 37 ministries in this church. I'm not not mad at you right now. Some people are on in 12 different campus ministries in your campus. You get involved in all of these things and you think, if I do all this work, I'm doing it for Jesus, I'm doing it for Jesus, but are you spending any time with Jesus? We all can get luke 11 our martha ministry on instead of our mary ministry where we sit at the feet of jesus right so all of your doing for god is is not going to put you in that position it's not going to give you a passion it's just going to burn you out no one really burns out for jesus we burn out because we neglect jesus we burn out because we neglect him we got to be at his feet in relationship with him. Amen. Now, the last thing, how do we develop a deep passion for Jesus? You live a life of conscious gratitude toward Jesus. You live in intimate personal relationship uh, with Jesus. And lastly, you live with a deep awareness of your brokenness before Jesus. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 10. Scripture says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Paul is is drawing on the Old Testament as he writes these verses and, and goes on from there through verse 18. He's drawn from various sources in the Old Testament, but he's actually saying something that to the ears of particularly his Jewish hearers sounds almost like heresy because for a first century Jew, particularly for a Pharisee like Paul, they believed that as Jews, they were the chosen people of God stood in a privileged position apart and away from everyone else and were contaminated by the outsiders. Gentiles were considered to them to be as dogs. You cannot eat with a Gentile. That would make you unclean. And so as a Pharisee of Pharisees, he describes himself in Philippians. Paul says these words. There's none righteous. No, not one. I'm a Pharisee, but I'm not righteous because I'm a Pharisee. I'm not righteous because I've studied the law. I'm not righteous because Abraham is the father of my faith, according to my cultural understanding of what it is to be a Jew. He says, I am no better. You are no better than anyone else. He says, we're all on the same footing. We're all on the same plane. And that place is this. There's no one good. Not even one. No one seeks after God. So so he's laying this out in the book of Romans. But uh, as we're looking at this in terms of developing a passion for Christ, we've got to understand this, that we're all on the same footing. Baptists are broken people. Agnostics are broken people. Catholics are broken people. Buddhists are broken people. Atheists are broken people. Jews are broken people. Rich people are broken. Poor people are broken. White people are broken. Black people are broken. Caribbean people are broken. Asian people are broken. Mexican people are broken. We're broken people. We're broken people. Now, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ in the pardon of your sins, you're a forgiven person, and God is working powerfully in your life to restore you. But never forget, as a believer, your brokenness. Do not forget your brokenness. We often, just like Paul did, we, we have ways of dividing the world that make us comfortable we see some of that in in the ugliness of what's happened in ferguson you know different groups divide the world in different ways to make them feel okay about who they are in the church it's easy for us to do that even in a church as diverse as epiphany it's easy for us to do that some in the church have made like one issue the issue that divides everyone And so if I stand on the right side of this issue, I'm all right. Let me give you an example. The the, the issue of homosexuality right now. I, I have not struggled with that in my life. But I have surely struggled and struggle as one who is broken sexually. Any man in this room knows what I'm talking about that there is a brokenness that we have in our sexuality that we need to daily come before Christ and ask him to purify us and ask him to help us today, right now, to honor God in my sexuality. There is a desperate brokenness there. But God forbid that I should say, because someone else's brokenness is different than mine. They struggle with same-sex attraction. I struggle with uh, uh, heterosexual attraction. But but so that I would say, because their struggle is different than mine, I can look down on them oh, You're right. You're right. And, 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 and as if my sin is no big deal in the eyes of God. I'm a broken person. I plead for everybody in this room to understand and to see their brokenness. When we... Don't see our brokenness. We won't be dependent on Jesus Christ. I, the older I get, the less, the less faith I have um, in my own moral progress. Now, that doesn't mean God hasn't done a work in my life and isn't doing a work. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and God's not changing you at all, there's a problem. You need to meet with one of the pastors or a deacon in the church because if you've submitted your life to Christ, he is changing you. He is working on you. But but what I've found is even as I develop a track record of resisting temptations and, 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 and doing that in a way over time that like, wow, I was never able to do that before. Even as that happens more and more, here's what I realize That if God's grace was taken away from me for one millisecond, I could find myself in a deeper pool, a deeper cesspool of moral filth than I ever imagined before. So the thread that holds me is not my willpower. It's not how how much I've studied the Bible. It's not where I went to school. It's not whose preaching I sit under. It is the grace of God and the power of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your dependence on God will only be as deep as your awareness of your brokenness. Your dependence on God will only be as deep as your awareness of your brokenness. Say that one more way. Your passion for Jesus will only be as fervent as your perceived need for him. Is your life like a birthday cake? With with a ni- with three layers of cake and frosting all over it and nice candles and then... You just need a little bit more, a little couple sprinkles on it. That's Jesus on your life. Just he's the sprinkles on top of your birthday cake, right? Is that how you see Jesus? <laughs> or, or without Jesus, there's no birthday. <laughs> there's, no, there's, no, there's no flour. There's no sugar. There's no eggs. There's no frosting. There's no candles. There's nothing. See, we have to see Jesus as everything in that mix. When we don't, we don't have a passion for him because, to be honest, we don't have that much of a need for him. Let me say this as I get ready to close. Uh, You know, we're living in crazy times, and I hear from a lot of people that the biggest threat against Christianity and the church today is radical Islam. That's the greatest threat against the church, but I don't believe that. I don't believe that for a second. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. There's no one from the outside that can destroy the church of the living God. But what I am much more concerned about than radical Islam or or Russia or any other political power or any political party. What I'm much more concerned about is people who call themselves good Christians. We've got it all together good enough so that I can look down on others good enough so that I I I, I push people away from the gospel of Jesus Christ by my hypocrisy good enough so that people inside the church I make them feel guilty and shameful because they're in my presence and I've got it all together and they know that they don't have it together so so it's it's people who don't see their brokenness that keep people from coming into the church in the first place from a natural perspective and who hurt people uh, desperately or who are already inside the church. We live out as broken people. Here's the good news in developing your deepening passion for Jesus. It's not an instantaneous event. It's a lifelong thing. Amen. And and here's the thing. Even though I will say for myself, it's been a long battle. There's been landmines all over the place. There's been sneak attacks. And sometimes I can look at progress and it seems way too slow. But God continues to be at work. The good news is this, that if you believe in Jesus Christ and have given your heart to him, if you know him as your Lord and as your Savior. He is the one who will bring you across the finish line. Yes. Philippians 1.6 says, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it even until the day of Jesus Christ. God is not going to stop until he molds you and makes you more and more into the image and likeness of Christ. My prayer for each one of us today is that we will make developing a deeper passion for Jesus the number one thing on our agenda Everything else needs to take a back seat. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful and grateful to you today. Watch over us. Keep us. Glorify your name in your people. And Lord, if there are any under the sound of my voice who don't know you, I pray, oh God, that you would work powerfully in their hearts and draw them to yourself. Life is is only in you and so lord we pray that our passion for you would grow and the other things of this world that have meant so much to us would fade in comparison to the beauty and the majesty and to the glory of our god we thank you for this lord in jesus name amen our men can come forward so we get ready to serve communion.